Well, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 17. And to those verses we read, that rather long section we read this evening. Uh, Over the last uh, several weeks, uh, perhaps even months, we've been looking at John 17 and spent a lot of time in the first five verses, which uh, we find the Lord Jesus praying for himself, that he would be glorified with the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. And then from verse 6 to 19, we've looked at those verses several times from the perspective that as the Lord Jesus now moves to speak about a second group of people, a group of people that are identified in a moment, I'll show you, they're identified as being the apostles. But we, we noted that what Jesus prays about when he prays for his apostles, some of those elements apply to us. In other words, there are There are crossovers. He's praying for them as believers, but also as apostles that he has sent or that he will send out into the world in his name. Now, we've spent a lot of time looking at how this section applies to us and our individual Christian lives. But tonight, I want to come and look at the whole thing and to see what it is particularly Jesus has in mind as he prays for these men. Now, you notice that it's these men he has particularly in mind. If you look at verse verse 12, he refers to the fact that he was with them. While I was with them, I kept them in my name, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them. In other words, it's those men who are in his company, in his presence, except for Judas Iscariot. In in fact, you'll see that later on in verse 20, he then prays for, for us, for believers in all places at all times, around the world and through history. Uh, I do not ask only for these, he says, but also, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their message to the word that they will preach. And that's us. We, we are Christians today because of the ministry of the holy apostles of Jesus. So looking back then at verses uh, eight, verse uh, 6 rather, down to verse 19, he has these men on his mind. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, let me give you the big story. First of all, the Bible This book that we hold in our hands is the product, from a human perspective, is the product of the holy prophets and holy apostles. They're the vehicles through which God used to give us the Bible. And the Bible is not incidental to our Christian understanding or our Christian lives. In fact, the Bible is a servant of the triune king of the universe. The Bible is the servant of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible is is the means by which this covenantal relationship that exists between God, the triune, and we, his people, has been established and has been written down so that we have a record of the relationship that exists between the big king... God and all of us 
who are subjects in his kingdom and children in his family. Just as in any covenantal relationship, usually there was a document that was written out in which the promises were laid out, the uh, directions, the conditions were, were attached, uh, undertakings were given on the part of the great king, and uh, what he was offering, what terms of his covenant he was, were involved were written down and established. And the Holy Scripture, the product of the holy prophets and holy apostles, Holy Scripture is in fact one of the great redemptive acts of God on behalf of his covenant people. We can say that the Holy Scripture is in fact the public expression, the physical expression of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church. So the ministry of the Son of God finds public expression when he takes on human flesh, and he becomes a human being. The ministry of the eternal Son of God, who is by nature, very nature God, and therefore invisible, God is a spirit, takes on human flesh so that the ministry of the Son of God becomes visible in the flesh of Jesus as he lived on earth. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is a spirit, and therefore invisible, becomes visible and tangible and audible in the Holy Scripture. That's an absolutely vital thing for us to get our heads around. B.B. Warfield put it like this, Holy Scripture is one of God's redemptive acts and has its own part to play in the great work of establishing and building up the kingdom of God on earth. So Holy Scripture then is not coincidental. It's not something we can put at one side and talk about Father, Son, Spirit, and then the Bible as if the Bible is something adjunct, a kind of fourth member of the Holy Trinity, which wouldn't be Trinity anymore. This is the expression of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is already being made clear. We, we've spent a lot of time in John's Gospel. And uh, in the last evening in which the Lord spent with his disciples, he promises them the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, he promises them the Holy Spirit. He says, you have been with me. I'm going away from you. You will be orphaned. That is, you who are in this room will be orphaned. You'll be without me. Up to now, you've listened to me. I've been telling you stuff. You've been memorizing it or taking notes. The Holy Spirit will come, and when he comes, what he will do is this. He will remind you of everything that I said. He will supplement that by leading you into all the truth. The things that I didn't get to say, the things that I wanted to expand upon but had not time to do it, or you were not ready to receive it. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will supplement my teaching ministry and lead you into all the truth. And thirdly, He, the Spirit, will tell you things to come. So Jesus has made very clear to these apostles that he is linking them and the Spirit with the truth, with the Word, with the ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, 
the things that Jesus wants to say about the future, and so on. In other words, you put all those bits together, you have the Gospels, you have the letters, and you have prophetic books like the book of Revelation. In other words, what we've learned from studying, just looking at the global picture of this last night of Jesus' life, is this, that God speaks to us through authorized agents and representatives. Principally, he speaks to us through the holy prophets and holy apostles. God speaks through these authorized spokesmen. It's not that the prophets and the apostles bear witness to the truth. No, they actually speak in God's name and on God's behalf. When they speak, God speaks. So I may refer to what the Apostle Paul taught there, but you must understand that I'm not telling you this was Paul's opinion or Paul's idea. No, when I hear Paul speak, I hear Jesus speak. When I hear Paul speak, I hear God speaking, because God speaks when they speak. He communicates himself. He communicates himself to his people. By the word that God gives, by the word of God, he gives himself to us. He gives himself to us. Just as in conversation with someone when you're really getting to know them well and and they, they begin to open up and they tell you what is on their mind and in their heart, they're giving themselves to you by what they say. God is giving himself to us by his word. And not only that, but he is binding us to him. He is drawing us into his his life. He is making us part of his life. He is binding us to himself as his children. And he does all of that through Jesus Christ, who is the sum and substance of the prophetic and apostolic agenda. So when we think about God speaking, we look at the Bible's testimony and we discover that God sometimes speaks directly to people. He doesn't have to use agents. That, That is not something that is required. There's no necessity in God to use agents. When, for example, he gathered Israel to Mount Sinai to consecrate them as a redeemed people, uh, it was his own voice that thundered from the mountain. And in Exodus 19, it says this, And the Lord God said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you. And may also, therefore, believe you forever. In other words, God is concerned that these children of Israel know that he has spoken to Moses. So what does he do? He does it publicly. So there they are at the foot of the mountain. There's Moses. He climbs the mountain and he's enveloped in this glory cloud that is at the top of the mountain. And as he is enveloped by the cloud, as he enters into the glorious presence of God, the people down around the base of the mountain hear this resounding voice from the glory speaking to Moses. And they're terrified, absolutely terrified at their wit's end. 
And they say, they say to Moses, Moses, would you please speak to God and tell him we're a bit scared and ask him if he would just talk to you and we listen to you as you tell us the word of God. And that's in fact what happened. He would speak to them through his servant Moses. In the New Testament, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and also at his baptism, God speaks a direct word. The heavenly voice speaks concerning Jesus. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And the disciples who were there on the Mount of Transfiguration, they report, as Peter does in Second Peter chapter 1, a voice, we heard the voice from the excellent glory. So though he transcends all of his creatures infinitely, God can create a voice by which he can be heard by his creatures in their language, and he can cause his creatures to understand what he is saying for himself. So God sometimes speaks directly, not to us, but he has done in the past to these people. But secondly, God ordinarily speaks through intermediaries. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, uh, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That was the way it happened. That was the way it was done. And God unveils his glory through the speech of the created world. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. He speaks sometimes through angelic intermediaries. Sometimes it's angels who come and talk to people, like angel came, remember, to, to Mary to announce to her that she was pregnant and that she was going to give birth to the one whom God had created in her womb, who was the Holy One, the Son of God. There were angels, apparently. Galatians 3 tells us angels were present on Mount Sinai when Moses got the message from God there. But ultimately, God's speech uh, through his creatures, corresponds to and serves his speech through his own Son. He is at once personal, the personal agent of God's Word. God sends his Son, and he comes with the words of God to us. But he is also the embodiment of God's Word. So John, John's Gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh. He came as the very expression of God, God's speech. God speaks, and Jesus is heard. So, it then becomes a principle as we go through the Bible to see that when for one person to communicate by means of another person is not necessarily a diminished form of communication. These creaturely agents that God uses, like the angels or the prophets or the apostles, are swept up into the mission of the Son of God himself. Those agents are fitting in ministers of the Word. There's a principle known as double agency discourse, and in double agency discourse, one person is authorized or deputized to speak on behalf of someone else in their name, on their behalf. 
And the result of that double agency discourse is this, that the sender himself communicates by means of the speech of his authorized agent. Now you see a little illustration of this in the work of an ambassador. An ambassador is sent by the president to some other country, goes to London perhaps, and uh, he has to visit the prime minister in London from time to time. And whenever he visits the prime minister, they can have an ordinary little conversation about the time of day and what he's going to have with his cup of tea or, or whatever generous serving he gets there in 10 Downing Street. Uh, tea and a biscuit probably uh, and something like that and uh, a biscuit is a cookie by the way in American because uh, I'm, I'm bilingual um, but, but whenever it comes to anything serious whenever it comes to anything serious the ambassador has to speak the words the president gave him to speak he speaks on behalf of the president the message he's given he has to relay exactly as it was given to him And it comes to the Prime Minister of Great Britain with all the authority of the President of the United States. That's double agency discourse. And in the Bible, when the prophets and the apostles speak, they speak as God. And they speak the Word of God to the people of God. So we have in... In the unfolding story of the Bible, we have the work of the prophet. A prophet was somebody who was called and designated by God to be his spokesman. Jeremiah chapter 1. These words are very special to me because at a time in my youth when I was wrestling with whether or not I should pursue the ministry, and I I, I spent a long time before God asking him for some kind of indication from his word, and and uh, one day I, I, I was praying about these things. I think I was about 17 at the time. And uh, I'd already wanted to be a minister and I'd started working towards that end. But I felt that I, I had needed some confirmation in my own spirit. And that day I was led to read these words that I'm going to read to you. That same day I, I went to college. I was at college at that point and friend of mine that I made there invited me around to his house. He lived nearby to have lunch. I went down around there. His wife was, was at home and she said, Liam, I was praying for you this morning. And I believe, I, I just felt like I should pass on these words to you. And they were the verse that, that I'm going to give to you in a moment. And then later that day, that evening, there was a meeting that, that I went to in Glasgow and the preacher was preaching on the words of this text. But the words were principally for Jeremiah as a prophet. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And when the prophet speaks... He says in his office as a prophet, thus says the Lord. And when the prophet speaks, God speaks. And prophets are distinguished from ministers of the gospel. Theirs is a magisterial role, ministers of a ministerial role. And just as with the prophets, so with the apostles. The apostles were uniquely empowered to represent Christ and to be Christ's instruments and agents in continuing revelation. 
What was it Moses did? Moses went into the cloud. The cloud was the cloud of glory. God spoke to him in, in the cloud of glory. Uh, the, the, the prophets were very conscious that they spoke because they'd heard God speak to them. What were the apostles? Well, when the word became flesh, they said, we saw his glory. They did not go into a cloud. They hung around a person. The cloud of glory had come now in another created form, in human flesh, and they hung round this human flesh who was the embodiment of the glory of God, and they heard the voice of God, the Son, speak to them. They were first-hand ear witnesses of what God was saying. I and the Father are one. And so Peter uh, exhorts the people of his day to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Prophets and apostles together witness, bear witness, receive the word of Christ and pass that word of Christ on to others. So that Jesus can say to the apostles, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. In other words, what we do with this Bible, what we do with the prophets who were sent by, Je by Jehovah, what we do with the apostle, the apostolic word, those apostles who were sent by Jesus, how we receive the Bible is a mark of how we receive Christ. They are so closely bound together. These prophets and apostles are divinely authorized emissaries of the covenant Lord. They are his human mouth. Now, you can see this work out in this chapter that we're looking at in John 17. You wondered if I'd ever get there. Well, here I am. Look at verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. They've kept your word. I gave them your word. They've kept your word. They've guarded it. Look at verse 8. I've given them the words you gave me, and they've received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. And uh, he prays for them. He prays that they would be protected and kept. Look at verse 14. I've given them your word. The world has hated them because of that. Uh, he says in verse 17, sanctify them. In other words, these apostles, I'm praying for these apostles, that you would set them apart, that they would become holy apostles, just as in the Old Testament, the prophets were known as the holy prophets. Let the, the apostles be sanctified, set apart in this unique way because of the truth that the Holy Spirit is going to teach them. Because the Holy Spirit is going to remind them of all that I taught them. He's going to supplement what I taught them and, and lead them into all truth. And he's going to teach them things to come. Sanctify them. Set them apart from everybody else. Because they are the vehicles of truth. The instruments, the voices of, 
of truth in the world. Your word is truth. And I consecrate myself for them that they may be sanctified in truth. See, the holy apostles set apart, different from us. They're in an entirely different category. When when you go to the book of Acts and you hear the story of the growth of the early church, they see the signs of an apostle. They hear the words of an apostle. The apostolic gospel is Jesus' gospel. And they listen to it, and they hear it, and they believe it, and they obey it. To be sanctified or holy means to be set apart for holy service for God. And these apostles are set apart by God as a means of God's own self-communication with us. Now these agents or emissaries are uniquely qualified to fulfill their commission by virtue of their unique access to God's counsel. Here's how Jeremiah puts it in Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah is an agent through whom God speaks to, speaks about the lying prophets. Now listen to what he says about the lying prophets. Here is God speaking through Jeremiah to the people. For who among them, that is these lying prophets, these false guys, who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. God is defined. First of all, he's exposing these people. He says, they never stood in my counsel. They never heard my word. If they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. That was the role of the, the, the prophet. They had unique access to God's counsel. And the the apostles, they had unique access to God's counsel because they had God in the flesh there with them every day. And the Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles were qualified by their unique anointing with God's Spirit. When the writer of Acts, Luke, is talking about David He says about David, David spoke in the Holy Spirit. They had a unique anointing of the Spirit to teach the truth. And the apostles in the New Testament similarly. So these people, these prophets and apostles, had access to the same divine counsel. In two different eras, of course, of God's dealings with us, but they had access to the same divine counsel. They both beheld, they saw from two different vantage points, one before and one after, the historical redemptive flow. They saw the glory of the same Lord. Isaiah in the temple, when he saw the Lord, saw the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate glory there in the temple that day. And he was particularly touched from the altar, you remember, so that he could speak the word of God. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, Peter, Peter brings both these elements that we've been looking at together when he says this, concerning this salvation, that is our salvation, 
the prophets who prophesied, Old Testament, about the grace that was to be yours, present tense, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ that was in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, past tense, to the prophets of the Old Testament, that they were serving not themselves, but you, present tense, you believers, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, the apostles, things into which angels long to look. Isn't that amazing? God's holy prophets and holy apostles, ministry conjoins together, centers around Jesus. The prophets foretelling, the apostles proclaiming what God has done for us in Christ for our salvation. And so both the holy prophets and holy apostles are fitted to bear the eternal word of God Whoever lives at his Father's side has access, through whom we have access to the Father, and who comes forth into the world in the fullness of the Spirit's power, his anointing to make the Father known. The prophets and the apostles serve the mission of the eternal Word of God incarnate. And together, they bear the word of truth And as Peter says to us, this is the word of truth that we passed on to you. This is the word of truth that we hold tightly whenever we hold tightly to the word of truth in the Bible. God's word is truth. The Bible is the visible manifestation of the Spirit's provision to the church in this present age of the Word of God. And whenever we read the Bible, whenever particularly we hear the Bible read to us or preached to us, we are hearing God speak through a human voice, analogous to the work of a a prophet. Not exactly the same, but analogous to. The work of preaching is a prophetic work in the sense that it is the Word of God that we preach. And as we preach the Word of God, you're able to hear in a created voice God speaking directly to you. And what he's saying to you this evening is you can trust the Bible. And this Word is the Word that is able to make you alive for salvation. And this is the Word that is able to galvanize you and strengthen you for living in the world from day to day. And this is the word that makes you holy. And this is the word that feeds you. This is the word that reassures you. This is the word that will heal you. This is the word which just the effect of it in your life is to wash you and cleanse you and renew you and revive you. This is the word that pardons you. 
This is the word that empowers you. This is the word of God, the good news of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we ask, we thank you. First of all, we thank you that you've given to us the Bible. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit through the prophets and apostles in communicating to them your lively word, your living oracles. And as we read them, we pray for the anointing of the Spirit ourselves, that we would understand these things, that our minds would be opened, our understanding enlightened, our wills made responsive as we come to your word. Your word is truth. And above all, that we would find Jesus there. We'd find our Savior there. And in finding him, trust him. And in trusting him, love him. And in loving him, find the deepest fulfillment of all our lives, we pray. In Jesus' strong name, amen.